Hey, welcome to Rockbridge. My name is Matt. I want to just welcome all of you at all six of our physical locations and then those of you who are watching us online. Thank you so much for being here. It's a great weekend to be here because you are. we are in the middle of, of I think, what is just an incredible series that God has given to us. And to get ready for that, you can find in your Bibles by turning them on, opening them up, Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, you're also welcome to follow along with me on the screen. But let's just kind of talk about where we are. We're in this series called Reframe, and here's what we've said. We've said, hey, we all look at things through a frame of reference. We have a perspective. We have a way we frame things up. And so as we're looking through our window frame of how we see things, we're looking at a new year, 2023. And, and we said this, that we never look at things simply straight on with, with absolute clarity, that how we see things how we frame things has been affected by certain things, right? And so a couple of those things we talked about last week, we talked about our childhood, and we talked about trauma or injury or being hurt, whether that's physically or relationally, spiritually, emotionally. And so we never look at anything sort of cleanly. We look at it through some of those lenses and those filters. Well, today we're going to talk about a filter that I believe all of us want to have, and deep down in our hearts, we actually do have this, this filter. Sometimes it gets buried, but we want to bring it out today. And that is, we want the best. Like when we look ahead, we want the best for our lives and maybe the people around us and their lives. But, but all of us would love to say 2023 is going to be the best year ever. Now, your definition of best and Mine might be different, and even God's might be different, but there, there is a desire to have the best, the best year, the best marriage, the best job, the best financial picture, the best walk with God. There's a desire, and there's nothing wrong with it. And so that kind of goes on our frame of reference. Now, he, here's what another way we tend to, uh, to kind of fill out our frame is a lot of us, when we look at, at, at our lives, our future we see it through the lens of ourselves, through me, or we see it through the lens of I. I mean, we're Americans, right? I and mean, Americans are big-time, grand individualists, right? And so we think about my best life. We think about the things I've got to do, the things I've got to go through, and we look at so much of life through the lens of me, myself, and I. And that's a frame that we're given, a lot of us, by how we were raised. A lot of us were given that frame because we are Americans, and it's sort of in our Bill of Rights, you know, that, that it, we, we have to take care of ourselves, and God's got His best plan for me. And that perspective, though, is going to be changed or be challenged a little bit because when we open the Bible, we're going to find some challenges, just like we did last week, to how we tend to see things. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll get today's reframe for the year ahead of us. Here's what God, what God says in His Word. He says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters. So He's addressing this to a community. He's addressing this to a we. He's not just addressing, and most of the Bible is not written to a me, myself, and I. Most of the Bible is written to a we, the people of God, Old Testament Israel, New Testament it's the church. And he says this, who share in a heavenly calling. 
And I love this word calling because calling is something all of us kind of can relate to. Even if you're not like a spiritual religious person, it's like your first time back in church in a while or at all. Everyone has a sense of, hey, I, he, the guy got the call, right? He got called up from the minor leagues. Calling is this sense of, hey, there's a plan for me. Calling, it, it has this sense of the best is coming or, or the best is, it, my best life is the life I'm called to live. And I think sometimes when we look at God, we wonder, does God want the best for us? Now, as I said earlier, maybe his definition is different than ours. But when I see the word calling in the scriptural context, and he even puts this adjective heavenly calling, here's what we need to say scripturally. God's best for us is often greater than the best we envision for ourselves. I think about me as a little boy. And, you know, just like probably many of you, you have that proverbial, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and I think about what I wanted to be and then where God has taken me and, and the paths he's put me on, not all of them easy. And I'm like, man, God knew, what's, God knew what was best for me better than I knew what was best for me. And I'm glad he gave me the eyes to see it and the faith to seize it. And so my prayer for us as a church this weekend is that we would open ourselves up to this way of looking at the best and that God and believe that God has best for you, and to believe that God's best for some to us is sometimes better than the best that we envision for ourselves, and that God would give us eyes to see it and the faith to seize it. And one of the things that God's been working in my life on as I've reflected to end 2022 and looking ahead to 2023 is this idea of abundance, of abundance. And Jesus talks about this when he says in John 10, 10, he says, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it in abundance. That there is a, a life God has for you and I, and it's a larger life. It's a greater vision. I, I, I sometimes think, you know, a lot of us, when we think about Christianity, we think Christianity is to help me make the cut when I die. Christianity is to help me get in to the good place when I end my time in this place. And that's sort of it. And, that, and yeah, yeah, when it's a crisis, then we call upon God. Like our nation kind of united around the young football player who had the, you know, the, the thing that happened during the, the Buffalo Bills game. And, I mean, everybody's captivated by that. Everybody's praying. And in a crisis, there's even an article that just came out. In a crisis, Americans turn to God. But when it comes to the best for our lives or the best vision for our lives, we tend to turn to who? Me, myself, and I for that definition. I think this passage begins to open us up to another way of approaching the best, another way of seeing life through the lens of the abundance that God has for us. So he unpacks that even more. He begins to explain it when he says, hey, this heavenly calling, which I'm just saying is the best life God has for us, the best life God wants for us. He begins to unpack what he means by that. So he says, okay, again, I'm writing to a community, holy brothers and sisters, who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. So if you want to consider God's best for you, you got to think about Jesus Christ. And he begins to give Jesus' qualifications and, and, and things that attest to who Jesus Christ is. He says he's the apostle, which means sent one, sent by the Father, and the high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all of God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses. 
You know, Moses is kind of at the top of the list when it comes to uh, the preeminent forefathers of our faith, especially the book of Hebrews written to a predominantly Jewish Christian audience. And he says, hey, Jesus is above Moses. And he says, just as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. And then he goes on and uses a building analogy or a house analogy. So never, now, now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. So Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and we are of that household. So if we're in Christ, all the benefits of the things Christ has done are appropriated to us. So, so let me put it in this, this way. Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses was the faithful servant, and Jesus is this faithful son. So what he's doing when he's talking about this calling, the word we're using is the best, and we all look at things through, I want the best, I'm hoping for the best, I'm seeking the best for me, myself, and I. We're all looking at it through that frame of reference, and we're letting the Word of God, the Spirit of God, this weekend change how we look at things. But when he's talking about the best or abundance, here's what we have to understand. God's best for us centers on the supremacy and the sufficiency of his son, Jesus Christ. If your vision of what's best for you does not include Jesus Christ, God has a better vision for you. So we have to add to this that when we think about the best... We have to put the Son of God, which I'm using the symbol of the cross, where he proved his love for us, proved that he would die to give us the best, forgiveness of sin, a filling of the Holy Spirit, a purpose, a plan for our lives. All those things are won for us, achieved for us by the cross of Jesus Christ when he died instead of us. So our, the vision of God's best includes the Son of God. Now, Hebrews gets a little dicey. He, Hebrews gets a little challenged. It's one of those Bible, those books of the Bible that will really kind of push us out of comfort zones. It will challenge us to see things differently, reframe. And the next verse does that. So I'm just kind of pre-warning you, and here we go. Here's what he says. He says, but Christ was faithful as a son over his household. We got that. And we are of that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Now, th this word is problematic for me. This word tells me that, hey, God's best for me is conditional. Meaning, I've got to sort of meet some conditions. And, and he, he kind of describes them. We've got to hold on to the confidence. And he's talking about that Christ is the best, right? And the hope that we have in Christ, we have to hold on to that. And he says, all of this comes to us, but he puts the if in here. And this is where I, you know, I have to say this. The big if is this. There is a real danger of missing God's best. There's a real danger of missing God's best, or else that passage wouldn't be in there. And, and so what, what the author of Hebrews does next is he starts to illustrate people that have been walking with God who miss God's best, and he picks Israel. He picks the nation of Israel, and he talks about the whole generation that, that God brought out of Egypt through the Exodus, through the Red Sea, what we call it, right? And they never actually made it to the promised land. 
Now, the promised land is, is metaphorically speaking, the best that God had for his people at that particular time in the history of the world and the history of what God was doing. And they missed God's best. And so the author of Hebrews is using that to illustrate this danger. Here's what the word says. It says, therefore, as the Spirit says, and he quotes out of the Old Testament, today if you hear God's voice, the voice of your shepherd, the voice of your Savior, the voice of your King, the voice of the one who wants the best, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. When people quit following God and pursuing God, he's again talking about Old Testament Israel, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years, but they failed to reach the promised land. They failed to get God's best. So he wants us to learn something. And then out of that come two commands. First command is, watch out, brothers and sisters, still addressing a we, still addressing a people, still addressing a community. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So now we get something God's doing. Because of this danger, God has a plan to protect and to promote his best for us. And, and, and you get this, right? You protect what you value. You protect what you value. If you value your safety, you protect it with locks on your doors or seat belts, right? If you, you, you value your money, so you protect it with a bank or with a, a budget, all right? I mean, so, so we protect what we value. If you're a parent and you got kids in your house, I mean, you have things that you do for your kids to protect your kids because you protect what you value. So God values his people. God doesn't want any of us to miss his best that includes the path and the way of the cross. And so God has a plan to protect and promote his best for his kids, for his people. Now this passage of scripture gives us two ways or two parts or two components or two aspects of God's plan. The first one is, we've already read it. He says, watch out. Somebody's told you watch out before. If you're a parent, you've told your kids, watch out, right? God gives warning. God warns his people of what could happen if we don't hold on, if we quit seeing Jesus as the best, which is that hard and unbelieving heart that we just saw. Don't think of like when he says hard, unbelieving, don't think that means you quit believing God exists. Don't think that means you quit believing there was no Christmas, that there was no Easter. It could include that, but it could also mean when it just comes to how you're living your life, you don't believe God's path is the best. God's wisdom is the best. God's way is the best. God's word reveals the best. Jesus is not the best. You wanted to have the steering wheel of your life. So unbelief can take a thousand manifestations upon us, and every single person listening to me, including the guy with the microphone, which is me, is in danger of unbelief at any given time in my journey to the best that God has for me. Now, it may take a little bit of humility in all of us to kind of embrace that, but that's just the reality, okay? So God loves us, and he warns us. But the good thing about God, and that's where we're going in, in, in the second part of God's plan to protect us and to promote his best for us. The great thing about God is God warns us, but he warns us, listen, with provision. Okay, he warns us with provision. Here's what I mean by that. If you're driving your car on a mountainous road and you see a sign that says dangerous curve ahead, that's a warning. 
when you get to that curve and there's a guardrail around it, that's provision. Because you'd rather hit the guardrail than go off the cliff, right? So God warns us, but he warns us with provision. Somebody may, may have told you, hey, watch out and be careful how you spend your money. That's a warning. But then what if they then came around and said, hey, you need to put your money in a bank and you need to operate on a budget. That's provision, right? If I tell, you, if I tell my kids, hey, it's cold outside, be careful, that's a warning. If I say, hey, it's cold outside, be careful, here's a jacket, right? And now that I have a 16-year-old who's driving, here's an ice scraper. Be sure to use it, okay? We've gone over that, by the way. So warning coupled with provision. So here, here's the question. And this is going to be our major, major application as a church family, as a church, as God's people, as brothers and sisters. Just like the author of Hebrews kept saying, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. Here's going to be the major application. What is God's provision to keep us on track to abundance, to the best? Here's what he says. But encourage, some translations use the word exhort, warn, encourage, spur on, be there for one another, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today, while there's still opportunity to pursue the best God has for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. So nobody is immune to deception against sin, a deception of sin. Nobody's immune to the dangers of unbelief. Nobody's immune for that. So watch out, and you need to be in a community where encouragement, exhortation, warning, admonishment, accountability, all the positive things that come from that are present. And he goes on, he says, For listen, we have become participants in Christ, what Christ has won, the best life, what Christ has done for us, given to us by his grace and mercy. We have become participants in Christ, his household. There's our word again, the scary word, the conditional word. If we hold firmly until the end and the reality that we had in the start. So if we hang in there, and how do we hang in there? God warns us and he provides for us. And what does he provide for us? He provides for us a spiritual community. He provides for us a spiritual community. So let me say it a couple of ways. God's, the journey to God's best is a carpool journey. The journey to God's best requires a spiritual family and a spiritual team. So right now, God has sort of challenged all of us who tend to be more me, myself, and I, individual, lone ranger. I, if I can do it myself, I can do it myself. And God has said, now listen. If you're going to get to my best, you need a we, not just a me. You need we, not just me. Yeah, Matt Evans is saved as a person. Matt Evans is saved by in individually, but I am placed in a we to help me and other people pursue God's best. Now, here's the challenge that we kind of got to embrace, and here's what we got to understand, okay? Here's what we got to understand, because I, I, you know, I've been doing this 20 years, and there's just so many people who don't get this, and they'll talk about their relationship with God, it's private, or they're like, man, I've got my people, and I don't need this, I don't need church, I don't need all this. So he, here's what we got to embrace, okay? Listen, we reject God's best 
when we reject God's plan. We reject God's best, best when we reject his plan. So if I say, God, I don't need to watch out, I've got it, we've just rejected the warnings of God. When we say, God, I don't really need a we, you know, I, I don't really need that. I don't need people knowing my spiritual stuff. I don't, I, that's, that's between me and you, and I don't really need a we. You and I, we've just rejected God's best because we've rejected God's plan. And God's plan is to protect what he values. He values us. He wants us to have abundance, full and abundant life. He wants us to have his best through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we reject his best when we reject his plan. The funny thing about this, I was thinking about this because, you know, we get we in so many areas of our lives, yet when it comes to spiritually, we, we kind of like push back. Right? I don't know. I don't really want to. I don't really want people to know how to pray for me. I don't. I don't really want to tell people, you know, sins I've committed and need to confess. Or I just. I, just, I, I don't really need. To. But listen, when you when it comes to the best of your health, what do you need sometimes? A medical community to help you, right? If we were talking about an athlete and the athlete said, "Man, I want to be the best basketball player I can be," and he said, "But I'm going to do it all on my own." I don't need the coaches, I don't need the trainers, and I don't need the other four guys on the court. What would we say? You're a fool. Yeah, when it comes to Christianity and spirituality, a lot of us are like, we're just me Christians, and we've never understood or, or we've never embraced the we, the we. So I just want to say emphatically, as clearly as I can, so many people have asked this question. Hey, what's God's will for my life? And usually that means Man, who am I going to marry? What, job, what college do I go to? Usually that means you've got a decision and you, you're like, hey, I want God's will, I want God's will. And that is certainly an area, those are certainly areas where we should seek God's wisdom and seek God's will. But, but you know what? There's a lot of God's will that is black and white clear in God's word. So I want everybody to hear me. Gospel community is part of God's will for our lives. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to wait for a feeling to come over you and say, oh, God's leading me into community. His word is so clear, and his plan is so obvious. He wants the best. He has a plan. He warns us, and he puts us in and asks us to be part of a we. Okay? Now, I want to I draw some distinctions because I keep using this weekend, I keep using gospel to describe community. And I want us to be sure we understand what, what we mean by gospel community. Because here's, here's undoubtedly what's true of many of us. We're all in a community. And, and our community could be our, our, our relatives. You know, and hey, I've got my family, my, my biological family. And, and that's fine. Some of us are like, man, I go to work and I've, I'm a part of a great team. I'm a part of a great community, my work community. Some of us, you know, we, we are in a club or we're in a neighborhood. And, we, and, we're, we're, and, and those, are all, those are all great but I think we have to understand when we talk about the we that God has put us in, that God wants for us, it is a gospel-shaped, cross-shaped community. So I want to be clear about that, and I want to tell you three things about gospel community. The first is the composition. The composition of gospel community are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's it. They are people who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, people who have given Jesus the sharing of your life. Gospel community, we are united by the cross. We are not, gospel community is not united because we all have the same skin color. We all cheer for the same football team. 
Gospel community is not, you know, we're all from the same race or the same part of the community or same part of the nation or live in the same neighborhood. Gospel community is not, well, this is my group of people. We all go to the, my kids all go to the same school. That is not gospel community. Gospel community is people who are united and committed around the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the unity that we have, and that's what keeps us together. So that, that composition is crucial. That composition is crucial. Now we talk about the content of gospel community. What's, what, what, what's gospel community trying to help each other do? Understand and live out that Jesus is the best. And, and so when life causes us, causes God's love for us to feel blurry or feel like God doesn't love us, gospel community reminds us of that. When, when life attacks us, Satan attacks us, gospel community is calling one another, helping one another to come back to see, to understand Jesus is the best. That's what we're trying to do in gospel community is keep Jesus center because he is God's best for us. He is God's best to us. And we need help to see it sometimes. We need help to taste and know that God's good. We need to be reminded of it and help each other progress and move forward in it. So that is the content of gospel community. And then gospel community has a pattern or a rhythm to it. And we've read one of it. It says they met together, they were together, or got encouragement daily. So there was frequent and consistent enough experience of community. In fact, it's frequent and consistent enough to sustain us, to sustain us, that we're moving toward God's best, unbelief attacks, doubt attacks, life attacks, the enemy attacks, and I've got my community to keep me on track. So it's frequent and consistent enough to sustain us. We would say it's a habit. It's a habit. All right, so that, that's an aspect of gospel community. Elsewhere in Hebrews, it gets even more clear for us. He says, let us hold on. Sounds familiar. Hold on to the hope. Hold on to God's best. Hold, consider Jesus. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing. So some people have the habit of not coming together. And he, he's saying we need to have the habit of coming together. Why? Same phrase, but encouraging each other. The second aspect of the pattern of gospel community is it needs to be small enough to give and receive personal encouragement and exhortation. We need corporate settings where you hear someone preaching the word of God, where we sing together, pray together, take the Lord's Supper together. But we also need community that is small enough where I can personally tell someone how to pray for me. I can personally encourage someone as they're reading the Word of God, walking with Christ through something. I am spiritually known. I am spiritually known. Okay? And I, and I was thinking about this. You know, I, I wanted to share with you why gospel community is so important to me. And, I, and I'm one of those Christians when I became a Christian, and because I'm kind of naturally introverted, I, I, didn't, I, I, under, I misunderstood the importance of the we. So I'm a, a full confession, and God has shown me as why we is so important. So I just want to give you my testimony of gospel community. Here, here it goes, okay? I am better able to see Christ as the best. I, and that speaks to I have a need to stand in awe of someone or something. I, I, we're all glory junkies, right? We, and you're, we're made that way. And other people help me see Christ as best. Okay, Jesus is so magnificent. He's like a mountain, 
okay? And a mountain has 360 degrees around it, right? And I can only see part of it, right, because I'm finite and limited. But other brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe they have a different perspective, they have different experiences. Maybe they see something in God's Word that I don't see. And when I hear their perspective or hear the man, together Christ looks more beautiful than he does if I just looked at Christ in isolation. Remember, who, remember the best is Christ. So when other people help me see that Christ is the best, like, even this week, I, I reconnected with someone that I'm in gospel community with, and we hadn't been able to connect for a while because of some scheduling conflicts and, and the holidays and all of that. And just talking to one another through parenting our kids, he and I both helped each other. Just, we had a moment where we're like, man, God is good. He was telling a story. I was, tell, it was, like, I was like, man, I just needed that. Another reason. I can be my unfiltered self. I have a need. You have a need to feel acceptance. And, and, man, we live in a world of rejection, or we live in a world of conditional acceptance. I need to be in a community where it's okay for Matt Evans not to be okay, you know? And I, and I understand this. A lot of people are like, Matt, I didn't know you had troubles. You know, you're the pastor. You're supposed to have it all together. I don't, okay? <laughs> so I, I need to be with some people who are okay when I'm unfiltered, when I'm not wearing a mask or not, not trying to be the pastor sometimes, right? I'm just Matt, a child of God, but Matt who's just at, 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 as a danger of unbelief and missing God's best as the people in Hebrews, as the guys in the, of Israel in the Old Testament. So, so I need to be my unfiltered self where I can get acceptance, but I also need to be challenged and encouraged to become my best self, I have the need for edification, right? And, and, and one of the ways that is there's people in my life, and I hope in yours, who know my, who Matt Evans is when Matt Evans is at his best. That's full of the Spirit, and my self is suppressed. My sinful self is suppressed. That's, you know, and, and there's things about me that, man, that's God's best. When, that's why God died for me. That's why God put his Spirit in me. I need people who know what that looks like. And when I'm not showing that person... I need people to hold me accountable and encourage me. They accept me, yes, in Christ, but they want better for me, and so I need that edification. And then the, the other reason is this. I can have opportunities to bless others, a need for purpose, where I can say to people, man, I see this in you. Let me pray for you. Uh, I, I can use what God's given me to bless them and help them. And so that's why gospel community is so, so important for me, okay? Now, what about you? It's God's will for your life. So I, I really believe there's some next steps that we as a church family need to take to be more of this we that helps us move and experience God's best, okay? And I, I just want to speak to a group, some groups of people that, that might be uh, listening in and engaged this weekend, okay, for next steps. I, I think there's some leaders that are a part of our church, or maybe some people who, man, you are great at hospitality, or maybe you're hungry. And you are hungry for fellowship and community with other people. I just want to encourage you. Some of you might need to take a step to begin to lead gospel community for others. Frequent and consistent in smaller groups and small enough. We call that small groups at Rockbridge. So that might be you. And so I just want to encourage you, take a step to serving that way. You know, there, there's, I want to talk to some men. Husbands in the as husbands who are here, listen, some of you, your wives want you to say, Honey, we need to we need to get in a Bible study. And you as the spiritual leader need to make that initiative. She's pretty much waiting on it. Or you need to say, Honey, I, I want you to go join that women's group. 
and, and I got the kids that night, and I'm going to go to men's breakfast or men's Bible study, and can you handle the kids that morning? Men, please take that little step for your family. Please take that step in your marriage. I, I think there's some folks who are like, man, well, I want community, but I want to be around people like me. What does that mean? The only thing we need to be around is people who love Jesus. So don't put false conditions on gospel community. Because too many churches are, are, man, they're just too white. Or they're just too Republican. That's not gospel community. We're all about Jesus. That's who we need to be in circles with and community with. Some folks are just, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Listen, maybe God's calling you to use your time differently. He's not going to give you more than 24-7. But maybe he's just calling you to use your time differently. Because this is too important. Because you protect what you value. Some folks are wish dreamers. I run into people who, man, they just get disappointed because they think church community and, and family, church family should be perfect, right? And, and they get hurt because so-and-so did this or didn't reciprocate. Listen, listen, listen. Here's, what, here's the best thing I can tell you about, about the church. It's like being on Noah's Ark. The stench inside would be unbearable if it were not for the storm outside, okay? When we get close to one another, there's going to be some stink, Okay? But differences are the occasion for gospel love. All right? I think there's some backsliders. I was reading this blog today based on the Christian classic Pilgrim's Progress. Nine steps to backsliding. Three of them had to do with withdrawing from gospel community. Withdrawing for church attendance, corporate worship begins to wane being in fellowship with other people where they can be spiritually known, small enough to be spiritually known, frequent enough to be sustainable, began to be lacking. And I believe some of you, your next step is to start belonging again. To start belonging again. You don't have to get your act cleaned up. In fact, the way God helps you get your act cleaned up might be through other people who love you and pray for you and help you with accountability. I don't know. But maybe it's just to belong again. I think there's some not yet Christians here. Listen, listen, listen. I want, you, I want to give you permission, okay? You can belong to a community of, of, with other believers, even though you're not yet one, before you believe. That's okay. And experience community, gospel community. I think there's some attenders, and maybe, maybe you're just, you love coming, and, and, but you're kind of anonymous. Maybe now is the time to become known through gospel community. So at Rockbridge, let me just give you a couple of things. Then our campus pastor are going to come up and help us take next steps, okay? Because we really want to give everybody an opportunity at least to have a conversation about a next step. We have an environment called All In, which is our new membership process. And part of this, when you go through it and make that commitment, we're going to have people. We kind of call them table shepherds or table leaders or really they're tour guides. They're going to walk with you for two to four months. And I believe it's that two to four months that are so critical because we want you to become and be known if you're part of Rockbridge. And so for some of you, if you're interested in membership, I just wanted you to know about, be aware of, all in, okay? And I, I think we, we'd be remiss if we didn't say that in Rockbridge Kids and in Rockbridge Student Ministry, we put our kids in small groups, I mean, my kids are telling me this week how they're reading through the book of Proverbs because they've been encouraged to do that through the link and through their small group experience. I mean, what, what more could a dad want, right? How powerful is that? So we do that uh, with our students and with our children. 
But really for us, it's the, it comes down to just small groups where we just simply say, hey, life is better connected. God's best for you and God's will for you includes his we, which is his people. And, and we would love to put us all in some kind of gospel community. I'm going to pray the next voice after mine that you hear will be campus pastors helping us take next steps toward God's will for us, God's best for us, which includes his people around us. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for everybody here. God, we're all on this journey, and we're all at different spots, God, but we've got one Lord, and that's your son, Jesus. We have one faith, and it's built on the fact that, Jesus, you died instead of us. You died for us. You put your spirit in us, and all of that is because you are the best for us. So, God, I don't want any of us to miss your best. And, Holy Spirit, I just invite you, give us holy desires to be connected. Give us holy desires to be a part of gospel community. And God, I pray you continue building your church in accordance with the truths that we find in your word. God, help us all know what our best next step is in pursuit of you, in pursuit of your son. And I just want to thank you on behalf of everybody listening. God, you gave your best. You gave yourself. You gave your son. And it's in his name that we pray.